Welcome to Innovative Interactions, a show by Resemble AI where we talk with makers, tinkers, and creative people to find out about the tools, tricks, insights, and techniques they use to bring their best ideas to life. Dean Orion is the creative director of Universal Studios Beijing, where he is leading the creative executive direction of Kung Fu Panda, Land of Awesomeness. He is an iconic writer, producer, creative director with many years of experience designing interactive media projects as well as writing for television. Dean led the design, development, and installation of one of the biggest computer vision applications in the world while at Walt Disney Imagineering on the ride Soren Living Landscapes at the Epcot Center. All right, good morning or good evening out there in Beijing, Dean. Appreciate, <laughs> yeah. appreciate you. Appreciate you making this time. I know it's uh, difficult to coordinate. I got to be up early. You got to be up late. Um, so I wanted to ask you to get things kicked off. You've had a long and successful career in storytelling. How have, if they have, the fundamentals of storytelling progressed in the last couple of decades? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure, even even though it is a little. Uh, it, it's actually not too late. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, um, it's only around nine o'clock, so I have plenty of time tonight. But um, anyway, I really appreciate doing this. Um, so fundamentally, uh, storytelling really hasn't changed. Um, you know, that's what you know. That's what makes fun makes fundamentals fundamental, right? They've been around since like the cavemen were sitting around the campfire. Um, but what has changed, you know, quite a bit in the past few decades. Um, oh, really over the past century are the, the popular mediums through which, you know, stories are told. So, so you know, theater has been around since the times of the Greeks. And of course, you got painting and sculpting for thousands of years. But it, it really wasn't until um, photographs, you know, became popular a couple hundred years ago. Um, and then cinema, right, at the turn of the century that all of a sudden you saw like a lot of change in the way that stories were delivered. And then in the last 120 years, you know, there's radio, television, theme parks, video games, desktop computers, mobile devices, and now we even have virtual reality. So what's interesting is that when you look at every one of those mediums from the cavemen right up until the development of the Oculus Rift, the thing that makes a good story is really the exact same thing. The difference is just in how the stories are delivered and, and experienced. On the, on the topic of the delivery, and then I, we'll get to the technology mediums later on, yeah. how, what processes do you go through when you're crafting a story from scratch? Well, I, I began my career writing plays and then um, I went to film school so my process is very much, you know, based in playwriting and screenwriting. So, um, you know, back, back when I was going to film school, we studied um, Lajos Egri, you know, art of dramatic writing, Joseph Campbell, of course. Um, so, so really based in that three act storytelling, um, you know, the classic ways that um, stories have been developed by dramatists over the years. But um, having said that, um, there's, there's a very specific methodology that I've developed for myself over the years that works really well for me. 
And I'm very much of the belief that, that every storyteller needs to develop their own process, one that, that you know, uniquely works for them. Um, I, I also have different approaches depending on the situation, the, the job, if there is one, um, the medium I'm working in, whether or not I'm doing the work myself or working with a team. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into, you know, what, and, and the medium, of course, um, you know, determines how you, how you work. So, for example, when I set out to write something for myself, an original idea that, say, I would like to try to sell as a screenplay, a teleplay, or, or a book, um, I'm very covetous and, and protect, protective of the process. I don't share a lot with other people until I've gotten through a draft that I'm, I'm really happy with. I, I, I have a very top-down approach. I, I like to start with the concept um, and I like to think around the concept for a, a, a pretty long time, sometimes years, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just start jotting down ideas that I'll kind of tuck away and I let my subconscious work on them. Um, and then as I'm, as I'm starting to feel, uh, you know, I start to think about an idea maybe I've been thinking about for a couple of years and then all of a sudden it starts to, you know, gain energy, gain steam. So I start to, I start to develop it. Um, and what I do is I sort of, I sort of start from the big idea and then I apply, um, characters and start to try to try to communicate that idea through the characters. And I outline a ton. I just start writing and I try not to edit myself too much in the beginning. Um, and then I just keep fleshing it out, fleshing it out, fleshing it out until, um, until I kind of can't not write the script. Like it, I, I, I sort of hold back a lot until, until I just feel like, okay, there's, there's no more, I can't write any more notes. I can't, I can't do any more research. I just can't do this anymore. I have to, I have to write this now. I've done, I've done enough, you know, and sometimes it takes a, a while. Um, but it, you know, if I'm working for hire, um, I'm a lot more open um, and, and far less attached to the work. I, I more or less let it be an open book from the beginning. If I'm, you know, if I'm working on something on spec for myself, I keep, I keep it to myself. I really don't talk about it with anybody until I, you know, get to the point where I'm, I'm really happy with it. And then I start to share it. And once I share it, then I, then I sort of have it, I think of it more as like a child that you've raised and, and led into the world. Um, and you, when you start doing that, you know, like, like a child who gets, you know, teachers and other people and friends and every, everyone sort of contributes to their growth. Um, you sort of, as the writer, allow other people to, um, to give you notes. And, you know, you, of course, have to be a good shepherd for it the process whether you're working for hire or working on something on spec um but it's sort of like where do you where do you allow um the other people into the process you know if it's something for myself i try to enjoy it and um and keep it sort of sequestered for a really long time whereas if if it's a work for hire you know right from the beginning the best thing is to to let it be an open process and not and not be too attached to what happens to it because sometimes, sometimes you know, with all the note giving, um, things can get um, kind of unraveled and you can't, 
you could be emotionally attached to that. So it's sort of, there are different, the situation sort of dictates how you approach the work. And when you have an idea of a character, what kind of questions do you ask yourself to come up with their backstory, their persona, and how they fit into the overall picture? See, that's an interesting question because uh, some writers like to start with a character. You know, they begin thinking about a person who's got some combination of traits that, that excites them. And they start to think about the kind of world such a person would live in, um, you know, the people they'd be associated with, their motivations, their, their desires in life and, and, and so on. Um, and then the story begins to kind of flesh out around that person. Um, you know, that's, that's a very um, interesting approach because it's really just so character driven, you know, it's, it's just looking at this, at, 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 you know, thinking about an interesting human, right? And how does, what story would uh, this interesting human tell, um, you know? Uh, I, I don't typically work that way. You know, I generally, as I said before, work sort of top down. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I feel about certain issues or a feeling or a point of view that I have about a certain topic. And I begin to search for a concept or a hook that excites me or justifies further explore exploration. Um, and then when I land on it, um, I almost instantly begin to think about a character that um, through both his or her essence and actions will embody the concept. In other words, like that, that character becomes the vehicle through which the concept or the big idea is communicated. For, for example, um, years ago, I, I became very intrigued with Native American shamanism. Um, it's actually a subject I've, I've been intrigued by for many, many, many years. Um, and and how, how it, it would intersect, you know, that ancient healing modality would intersect with Western medicine. So I wrote this TV pilot called Medicine Man about a Western doctor who um, after losing a patient kind of wigs out and drives into the Arizona desert, gets in a car accident and is mysteriously healed by a Native American shaman. And when he returns, which is actually the opening of the story, he returns, he returns to his normal life, but he has no memory of what happened to him. And three years have passed and he has no idea um, how he got where he, he, he is, how he even got home. Um, and then, and then as, it, as it progresses and he tries to go back to work, he, he discovers that he has these psychic healing powers. So the idea that the body and the spirit are, are sort of inextricably tied and, and that uh, Western medicine can learn a few things from the medicine men of uh, all kinds of indigenous people was a concept that I explored through that character. So, but I started with the idea. I started with the high concept. I didn't start with a doctor who has that experience. The, you know, when I started thinking about how, how, you, could, how you could write a, a medical drama with a sort of Native American twist, um, that's the character that emerged. And when you have that thought through, what's the process of developing their visual and audio persona from there? Well, 
the process of developing characters, um, unlike the high concept, which is about the big ideas and the broad strokes, is, is really uh, really about the details. Um, and those and those details really only come toward the end when you're writing the actual script and the dialogue. You know, what do they look like? How do they move? Do they have certain habits that define them? How do they talk? Where do they grow up? You know, what are the nuances of their speech? All those things are, are, are touched on in the outline phase, like early in development. You know, when you're, when you're thinking about the whole, the story as a whole, you kind of get, you know, little ideas about who the person is. And I write myself a lot of notes, you know, like, hey, I think, you know, maybe he has a scar over his eye because he got in a fight when he was a kid and that, you know, shape, you know, how he felt about himself, you know, whatever, whatever those things, like certain attributes start to emerge, but that, but you kind of, I like to sketch those things um, as I'm, as I'm thinking more about the big picture and putting the whole story together. And then when I get to that point where I'm actually in, in, you know, in, in the trees and not in the forest anymore, um, then I start to discover um, how I'm how I'm going to describe the character, what he what he or she sounds like when you start writing the dialogue. So it's kind of like you leave that. That's almost the, the most delicious part of the whole process. Sort of leave it for the end um, after after you've got a nice solid structure to work in. Those things just kind of come and fill themselves out, and you can you can discover those things along the way. Um, and so again, you know, I start from the top. I start with the high concept. I apply it to the character. I start to develop the story around them, form the outline, and then I start fleshing out the outline until I can't, I can't write anymore. <laughs> and then by the time I write, I start writing those descriptions. I really know who they are. Um, one of the, this 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 kind of approach. Um, is my, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes um, is from Alfred Hitchcock, which kind of defines this approach, which he, you know, he was famous for being like absolutely meticulous about the construction of his, of his screenplays. And he, he used to say that when the script um, has been written and the dialogue has been added, we're ready to shoot the film. <laughs> so he, he had such a low regard for dialogue and was such a visual storyteller that, you know, he, he, he didn't even consider the dialogue as part of the script. <laughs> so that's kind of the way I approach it, except for I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm much more reverent about, about the actual words that the, that the actors say. That's really funny. That's a great quote. Yeah. Uh, so you're out, you're out in China right now, as we mentioned, uh, you're working on a theme park. We won't get too much into details. People can read, read the article press release that uh, I'll stick the link in. But you've worked on theme parks before. And so mm -hmm. I want to ask you, when you're designing the story of a ride in a theme park, how do you go about translating the original experience of that movie, character, whatever it may be, into one of a ride? Well, that's a great question. Um, most theme park rides, as you know, are based on existing intellectual properties, hit, hit movies really for the most part. Um, but unlike a two hour movie, what you're dealing with in terms of a ride is an experience that lasts typically no more than about five or six minutes. 
So the challenge is capturing the essence of the IP and telling a satisfying story in a very, very short period of time. On the plus side, uh, on the plus side of the ledger, um, you also have a lot of tools at your disposal. Um, you have architectural theming, you've got theatrical effects, you've got lighting, you've got audio, you've got animated figures in some cases and, and projected media usually as well. So, um, so you have a lot of tools, um, but, but the, the real challenge is to capture what audiences um, are, you know, already know about, about the movie that they've seen or the series of movies um, and, and then do it in a physical space, you know, giving them the excitement of going on a ride and tell a story all at the same time. Um, but when it comes to the process, uh, you know, once again, the fundamentals of storytelling are the same, you know, you start with a high concept, um, you know, in, in theme parks, um, there's uh, a show writing department, which is a little bit like um, uh, a writing staff, uh, you know, like a television writing staff who, you know, write um, treatments, um, they'll, they'll write a treatment for the whole park, they'll write treatments for each land, they'll write treatments for every attraction that describe and give you the feeling of, uh, of what it's going to be like to be um, on that ride or in that land. Um, and you embody, you know, in the case of a ride, the journey um, in the person of, of, the, of the main character and the characters that you see from the films. So like, you know, Universal, for example, has done this brilliantly with the Harry Potter franchise. Um, the um, uh, Forbidden Journey ride, where you go on a, on a, on a, on a broomstick ride with Harry uh, is pretty cool. You know, you're flying around with Harry Potter, um, go to, you know, you're going to the castle, you're seeing the, the, the portraits talking, um, you know, you're pretty immersed in that, in that IP. And especially if you're a fan of the IP, which, you know, there's one or two of those around the world. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's uh, through all that theming and bits of media and little pieces of, uh, of magic, like using sensors that make the pictures come alive, um, you know, that creates an immersive environment that, you know, that, that gives you an experience that captures the movie and and uh, you know you spend you know maybe 20 minutes 40 minutes in the queue and then six minutes on the ride and you come out there and you feel like you've been in the movie so um, so you know it, it, adapting that pre-existing property helps you in a lot of ways you know you don't have to develop the characters um, but you, you still do have to find that compelling concept um, you know just like you would if you were writing a film or a television show or a book. Um, it's just an adaptation of it. You just mentioned uh, something that like I, I have a five-year-old, four-year-old live near Orlando and go to Universal Studios, all the Disney World parks. It's, uh, you know, I think as a parent, the, you know, you remember going as a kid, you remember that nostalgia, but watching the kid, watching my kids and what, you know, their kids are best, uh, how do you call it, the reviewers, right? So when you take that movie, right? Like if you look at, let's say, the ride you just mentioned at Harry Potter, that's one 
kind of aspect, even though it's in a whole world. So when you take, but now they're at the point where they've got all the rides, right? But when you take what a movie for the first ride or first experience, how, how do you choose what you guys believe is going to be that moment of nostalgia or the moment from the, the movie that's the point? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think with Forbidden Journey, it was, uh, it was probably, I mean, I wasn't working for Universal back when they developed that, that ride, but I think it's kind of a no-brainer because, you know, you sit around in a brainstorming session and you say, well, you know, what, what would be the most exciting experience for our guests, right? What, what would, you know, what would a Harry Potter fan want to do in a Harry, in a Harry Potter ride and Harry Potter, you know, theme park attraction? Um, and the first thing, of course, that would come to anybody's mind would be, you know, hop on a broomstick, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the first question you ask. And then, you know, I think for lots of other things, as you, as, as, you know, as a team, as a company, you dive into that kind of an IP, you start to find, you know, further and further, you know, you get deeper and deeper into it and you start to find um, the things that, that, you know, also would excite the guests and development of the Hogsmeade area, you know, is just so immersive and fun. Um, recently they did uh, uh, Hagrid's motorbike adventure, which is a really cool roller coaster. So, which, you know, obviously they, they went for another character that's obviously really popular. So um, I think it's, 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 it's really putting yourself in the, in the shoes of the guest and thinking, you know, what would I, what would I want to do if I was a fan of, you know, fill in the blank IP um, and came to the theme park and, and uh, you know, what would be exciting um, to experience my favorite, you know, movie franchise. Awesome. That's uh, it's really cool to think about, especially being a consumer of these parks and you know, what, go what goes into it. I mean, the, the technology, the, the new, the new experiences, the new rides and, uh, you know, the, the experiences that you guys kind of choose to uh, portray. It's it, the details, everything is just fantastic. Oh, really yeah. Awesome. It's, it's so fun. I mean, you know, for instance, I'm working on Kung Fu Panda land here in, in Beijing. Um, and, uh, you know, Kung Fu Panda is such a rich IP. And I've, I've always kind of thought of our land as, uh, as a place that, you know, if you could, the way I think of it is if you could step through the movie screen and into the animated world of Kung Fu Panda, um, you know, which is completely rich and, um, and, and beautiful and, and bold and has all these amazing colors. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's sort of hyper real, right? It's not, it's not realistic. What would that be like, you know, if you could just step through that screen and just and just be living with these characters, and it's so much fun to bring that to life. Um, and when you see it coming to life around you, um, with you know this huge, huge team of people working together to to create this space, it's uh, it's it's it is it's truly it's truly remarkable to watch and and. Uh, I've been really privileged to be working on it. So 
a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you guys need to bring it out here to out here uh, to America too, because from the pictures and everything, and and he- hearing you talk, it's going to be pretty amazing, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's so much. <laughs> there's there's so many great things that we're doing. So many exciting things. I can tell you one um, that has already been shared with the Chinese press. Um, so you're familiar with the films. Oh, all of them, of course. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you, you know, Ugwe, the wise old, um, yep. you know, the wise old mentor, Kung Fu master. So he, uh, he, he dispenses a lot of that wisdom around the peach tree, right? The peach tree of heavenly wisdom. And that location plays a pretty prominent role in the films. And so in our land, we, um, we have a peach tree of heavenly wisdom, but it is not really a tree. It's, it's more of a projection structure. Um, it stands about 35 feet high and weighs 10 metric tons. Um, and uh, it, is, it is basically for, uh, to create a, 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 um, a three-dimensional projection surface that we use to tell stories, some original stories and, um, and it changes seasons and it's just this amazing projection mapped um, uh, attraction uh, in the middle of the land. And it's, and it's just so majestic. I've, I've sort of gotten used to it now, now that I, I see it almost every day as we're building. But um, yeah, you have to remind yourself like how, what people are gonna gonna feel when they first see this thing so it's um you know it's going to be quite a sight all right dean i don't want to keep you too long out there i know you're what like 13 hours ahead so i really appreciate your time um looking forward to seeing the progress of uh, kung fu panda world kung fu panda land it's going to be amazing and uh thank you so much again Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovative Interactions podcast. We really enjoyed talking to Dean O'Ryan about theme park experiences. For more tips from creative and innovators, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit resemble.ai. And if you have a guest you'd like to hear from, reach out to us at podcast at resemble.ai. We'd like to thank Tony and Paul for the music on the show. Catch you next time.